Welcome to Plugged Into Grace. I'm your announcer, Zavin Grady. We welcome you to this weekly podcast hosted by pastor and teacher William Polis. Today, Pastor Polis is continuing his series entitled Acts, the History of the Early Church with part two. In this part two of this new podcast series, Pastor Polis will cover the book of Acts beginning with chapter one through chapter three. Our hope and prayer is that you will be blessed in gleaning wisdom and knowledge from the Word of God. Now here is Pastor William Polis with part two of our weekly podcast series titled Acts, the History of the Early Church. Welcome, come in. We're delighted you're here today. You know, the book of Acts is the beginning of the foundation of the spread of Christianity. Not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Acts is a book of many people having roles that shape and bring people, men and women, in the ancient world to the realization and the reality of Jesus Christ. The author of this book is Luke. It appears that some of the sources were also James, Peter, as well as Paul. Consider the men and women of this book. We have Peter, the follower of Christ, and often one who fell short many times as he walked and lived with Jesus Christ as a disciple. Remember, he tried to tempt Christ, and then he denied him three times that he ever knew him. This happened right before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But now, Peter is one who is much more mature in his walk with Christ. The disciples, which now include Matthias, who replaced Judas as a a chariot, will experience the coming of the Holy Spirit, as we will detail in Acts chapter 2. John was present with to help Peter against the first persecution of Christian believers, and in that time, it was called the Way, while it was in Jerusalem. Then there was Saul. This was his Jewish name. Later, after his conversion on the road to Damascus, he took the more Romanized name of Paul. The young Saul, before his conversion, was part of an order of the Pharisees. He was so zealous in winning to, wanting to stamp out the followers of Christ that he slaughtered many mistakenly in thinking that he was doing God's will. He was also responsible for the killing of Stephen, only to find out that he was just as false and shallow in Christ as a Pharisee of as the Pharisees were in Jesus' time. And we know that Jesus called them out many times for the lack of belief in the Messiah. However, it was on the road to Damascus that Saul later became Paul, his Romanized name, that he had encountered with Jesus. When a light from heaven came and fell on uh, earth, and he, he fell to the earth and was confronted by Jesus Christ. And then he was blinded. Now we know Saul was coming to Damascus because he was sent by the Sanhedrin to bring back Christians, and he he was there to persecute them in Damascus, the Christian population. But he was healed from his blindness by one of those he was supposed to enslave and bring back to Jerusalem, Ananias. With his conversion, Paul becomes and is the great missionaries. He not only brings Jews to Christ, but he also brings pagans in the ancient world to know Jesus Christ and be saved through him. Paul's three missionary journeys take him to Philippi, Athens, Berea, which is near Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome. 
and many other places which we'll later read in, in later podcasts of the series. In 63 AD, when the Jews could not bring any charges against him, he was released and continued to travel on missions until he was arrested again and finally executed in 68 AD. Cornelius was another character in the book of Acts. He was an Italian. He served Rome. But what's most striking of all is that he feared God, but he was not converted to Judaism, nor was he circumcised. Another character we read about in Acts is uh, Barnabas. He accompanied Paul in Jerusalem on Paul's first missionary journey. Went to Cyprus and Asia, and then back to Jerusalem to set up the Jerusalem Council, which is found in Acts 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Luke, the author of this book, joins Paul to set up the Macedonian church in Philippi, and this is where Paul was first in prison. Luke is in prison with Paul, dictating on papyrus, concerning his young days, uh, persecuting Pharisee as Saul, condemning Christian men and women and children. In the book of Acts, speaks of Saul's conversion, his changing from Saul to Paul, his missionary journeys, as well as his imprisonment. Luke was in Paul's cell in Rome at the Maritime Prison, dictating and chronicling what we're reading right now, or will be reading in the book of Acts, but also Paul's second letter to Timothy. Some helpful information that helps us link Luke into the other Gospels. The very beginning of Acts does link to Luke and the other Gospels beginning in Acts 1, verse 5 through 11. It shows the resurrected Jesus Christ appearing to the apostles and giving them the Great Commission. In verses 5, 7, and 8 are Christ's words in red, which we see in the book of Acts. In chapter 2, the promise that Jesus Christ tells his disciples is the very coming of the Holy Spirit. Neither witnesses in Jerusalem, the expectation of the chosen, chapters 1 and 2. The first two verses of this book, Luke looks back to, the, to his gospel that he wrote, which is the book of Luke. Now we know Luke was a doctor, and he mentions here in the opening verse of a man named Theophilus. We believe that he was Luke's patron and who financed him, so he was able to write the book of Luke and Acts. Theophilus was a believer in Christ, and these two books would confirm and instruct Theophilus as well as the Church of Christ in the faith. And you can see evidence of that in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Lord's post-resurrection appearance attests the reality of his resurrection. Christ gave many convincing proofs of this. The word proofs, as we see it here, that word proofs, here in Greek, tekberios, and it's the only place that this word appears in the entire Bible. The evidence is not only by just witnesses, but also by touch, sight, and feel. We find this in Luke 24, 39 and 40, and 1 John 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus appears to the apostles and discussed the kingdom of God. The Lord's ascension in Acts 1, 2 takes a look back and links to Luke 24, 51. There were two commandments that were given by the Lord before he returned to heaven. Number one, the apostolic band was to remain in Jerusalem. We find that in chapter 1, verse 4. Remember, seeing again back to Luke 24, 29. Then they were, number two, to go in to the world as witnesses. Acts 1 through 8. Direct referencing Luke 10, 4, as well as Luke 24, 47. Jesus promises a gift from the Father, which is anticipated 
and told about in Luke 24, 49. And this is the Holy Spirit. You can read this also in Acts 1, 5, John 14, 16, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7. Indeed, John the Baptist had promised spirit baptism by, by the Lord Jesus, and it was done by water. John was identified with that water baptism. But what Christ is talking about here, and both in, in Acts and in Luke, he wants to join himself to his believers by the baptism through the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, verses 12 through 26, we read a disciple who replaces Judas is a chariot, and his name is Matthias. We also see the change in the scripture from the word disciple, which means learner, to apostle, which means one sent on a mission. In Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 15, Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and numbered those who had gathered around the disciples to be 120. Acts chapter 2 summary. The day of Pentecost is known in the Old Testament. It's not something new. It's something that is old, but has been changed from the Old Testament way of doing it. It is an Old Testament festival known as the Festival of Weeks, Exodus 34:22 and Deuteronomy 16:9 through 12. But the New Testament Pentecost, Feast of Weeks, is different in the New Testament when Jesus comes. Jesus became the only and final sacrificial lamb of God. Now the ultimate blessing has been given and God will receive the first harvest of believers and will be his own special people. It was this Feast of Weeks in which all the Jews attended in Jerusalem by which an offering is to be returned to God according to his blessing of his people. The coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, Verses 1 through 14. Jesus is speaking to the disciples in Acts 1 5. He promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, and it is marked by three unmistakable signs, which we will find in Acts chapter 2. And these are a roaring sound is heard. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Visible tongues of fire rest on each of the 120 gathered in prayer. Acts 2, verse 3, and Acts chapter 1, verse 15. 3. They will begin to speak in foreign languages that they have never known before. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Now they will be filled with the Holy Spirit often. And we find this in the next set of chapters in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, and verse 31. Acts 39, 13, and Acts 13, 9. These three distinctive signs will mark on the Spirit's initial coming to be in rather than with Jesus' followers. And we understand that. John 14 17 speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2 verses 5 through 13 in the first century some 150 uh, Jewish colonies were established in and throughout the Roman Empire men came from them to Jerusalem for the feast of the Pentecost crowds of these now visitors to Jerusalem they have stunned looks on their faces as each one hears Jesus's Galilean followers speaking in his own native language Acts chapter 2 verses 8 and 11 the one standing there who did not understand Jesus, Galilean followers, speaking foreign tongues, to them, all this sounded like drunken babbling. Now notice, where the visitors came from, spoken about in Acts 2.9, all over the ancient world, they came from Parthia. They were Medes, which is now modern-day Turkey, Elamites, or Elam, located in southeastern Iran today, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, which is in modern-day western Turkey, Asia, Crete and people from Arabia. 
once this the Holy Spirit falls upon the whole 120, Peter in Acts 2, verse 14 and 20 through 21, now gives an explanation in which he quotes a passage from Joel, chapter 2, 28 through 32, which says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon all handmaidens in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens, and the earth, blood, and fire, and pillars of smoke. The sun shall turn into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Then Peter proceeds to do a sermon. Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 39. Now this is one of two sermons that Peter would preach. The other can be found in Acts chapter 3, verses 12 through 26. These reveal the basic elements of early apostolic preaching, which are Jesus, the historic person all hearers know, Acts 2.22, was crucified and raised from the dead, Acts 2.23 and 24, and Acts 3.13 through 15, in accordance with this prophecy found in the Old, this was foretold from the Old Testament, Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 35, and Acts 3:18, that he is God's Messiah, Acts 2:36, and Acts 3:20, and finally, all that turn and believe in him will receive remission of sin and be given the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, verse 37-38, Acts 3:19, so verses 21 through 26 of the of Acts 3. Peter finishes his sermon. There's a response to the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verses uh, verse 40 through 48. Peter's preaching leads to the conversion of some 3,000 people. These form a devoted community which is committed to loving one another. They are willing to sell all their possessions to meet the needs of others. And this would, of course, we can expect, expand the Christianity in a mighty way to what we know today. It only not only builds the community, but it builds the moral idea and identity of what Jesus, all that Jesus taught. I want you to think for a moment, all the missionaries of the last 100 years plus, which have gone to the ends of the earth to spread the good news of the gospel. It has led to the conversion of billions for Christ. Today, the good news of the gospel can be reached by television, radio, shortwave, community churches, missionaries, and those who converted are also spread the gospel in their own countries by word of mouth to every corner of the earth. Now we turn to chapter 3, in the summary of chapter 3, we have the healing miracle in Peter's second sermon. There were three times for praying each day in Jerusalem. The prayer times were 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. And we see Peter and John praying in the ninth hour. In, John, in Acts 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we have the story of a man who was crippled from birth over 40 years. And he was carried every day to the temple gate named Beautiful, so he could beg. It was the eastern gate of the temple area which led from the court of the Gentiles into the women's court. Peter heals this crippled man by telling him to rise up and walk. And many people that were in the temple, they witnessed Peter healing the crippled man. We have Peter's sermon, which is the same as the Pentecost sermon of Acts 2, 22-41, which follows the healing of the crippled man. And this sermon speaks about the fact that the people of Israel turned over the Messiah, Christ, 
to execution, but God raised him from the dead. Acts 3, 14 and 15. That it was Jesus' power, not anything Peter did on his own, to heal this crippled man. It was done by Christ. Remember he said in his, in his first sermon, he said, This man you see and know. And to remember this, a lot of the people that lived during that time witnessed Jesus here on earth. And so when Peter heals this man, he tells them, this is the man you, you have seen and know. This is the one who, through me, helped heal this crippled man. We should know that each listener has the opportunity through Jesus to turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Acts 3.19. This is what he's telling him. If you, if you, the people are hearing this, he's telling them, if you turn to God, you'll wipe, your sins will be wiped out, wiped clean. Peter also, in this final point, seems to suggest in Acts 3.20 and 21, that if the nation will turn to God now, Jesus' return might be hastened. We conclude this podcast here today. My earnest prayer is that this podcast has helped you in understanding the Bible better. I'm hoping it strengthen your faith and will encourage you to spend more time reading and studying the Word. I hope that you will join us next week for part three on Acts, the history of the early church. Remember that you can go to our website and listen to the podcast at any time. If you live in Lorraine County, we would love to have you come and join us at Lorraine Full Gospel Church. We are located at 1900 West 19th Street in Lorraine, Ohio. Until the next podcast, if it is God's will, may God richly bless you. This has been a presentation of Plugged Into Christ with our host, pastor, and teacher, William Polis. This production is made possible through Plunked into Christ. This production is sponsored by Lorraine Full Gospel Church.